Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to begin a message that we began last time entitled, Look What One Person Can Do. You know, we often think that it takes some supernatural super saint to be able to do some great work of God. But folks, when we actually think about it, think of the people that God has used. Time and time again, He has used people that had failed in previous occasions, or people that were old, or people that were weak. And of course, one of the most famous was Jonah. You know, the greatest revival that was delivered in the Old Testament was led by a man that didn't want to be there and didn't want the people listening to actually repent. Now let that sink in for a moment. Folks, it's not us. It's not our limited vessels. God chooses to work through us, but it's not our limitations. It's what God can do through us. I hope that you enjoy the conclusion of this message entitled, Look What One Person Can Do. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. It is Christ in you. Moses said, I'm too old and unimportant to be your spokesman. But God said, you have my power and not yours. Throw down your stick and let me show you what I can do. Hey, remember that speech you're talking about? Remember, I'm the one that made your mouth. And God took one man, this 80-year-old shepherd from the backside of the desert with no power, with no wealth, with no special skills, and defeated the most powerful ruler in the world and led Israel to freedom. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. I don't have the education. Jeremiah said, I can't. But God said, I can. And he said specifically, don't be afraid of their dirty looks. Don't be afraid of the situation. I am with thee to deliver thee. I have put my words in your mouth. And I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant And Jeremiah preached righteousness and bore the revilement from his own people through the reigns of two kings, the conquest of a city, and even was there to minister to the remnant after Jerusalem was destroyed. Ezekiel said, I'm pouting. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be in Jerusalem working in the temple. This is a thankless job. It's a pointless job anyway. But God broke his heart and put his words in his mouth and used him to reveal to us the great watchman on the wall sermon, the great valley of dry bones, the battle of Gog and Magog, and gives us the most detailed description of the millennial temple anywhere in the Bible. Jonah said, my heart's not in it. I don't want him to be spared. But even with that attitude, All God needed was obedience to the call and look what God can do when his word is preached. Folks, it's not our eloquence. It's not our intelligence. It's not our charisma. Listen to this statement. This may be the most important statement I've ever shared to you after telling you how to be saved. It's not our strength. It's not even our confidence level. It's not even whether our heart is in it or not. It's our faithfulness to be obedient to his call and to speak the word of God in truth without compromise. And then you just watch and see what God can do. Point number two. 
Jonah was imperfect. We've long seen these Renaissance paintings of the apostles with the halos above their heads, or prophets with their feet slightly elevated as if they weren't touching the ground. No, these were men with like passion and shortcomings just as we have, yet God used them mightily. God called and Jonah said no. In fact, he bought a ticket and boarded a ship to go the other direction. And God sent a storm to get his attention and he said no again. He was even willing to die by being thrown overboard before he was going to obey God and go to Nineveh. You talk about stubborn. You talk about a battle of wills. This man was a prophet of God? Yes, he was. This man was a prophet of God. And he had his faults, but Jonah willfully disobeyed God and ran the other way. And God still used him. He gave him a second chance and even a third chance. And then he obeyed and went and evangelized Nineveh and speak God's word. And look what God could do through this one man. Moses had failed by the age of 40. He spent 40 years on the run as a shepherd before God called him to rescue Israel as an 80-year-old man. Even battling fits of anger and depression as you read about his leading the Israelites uh, through uh, the wilderness. But God used him to shepherd his people for 40 years and to bring them to the front door of the promised land. Consider that Rahab of Jericho had been a harlot. Yet she became a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and became the great-great-grandmother of King David and in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Look what God can do with just one person, one imperfect person, might I add. Matthew had been a traitor to Israel. The Scripture says that he was a publican, a Jew that was working as a tax collector for the Roman government and oppressing his own people. Yet Jesus saved him and called him to be a disciple. Paul had been a murderer of Christians, yet called to be an apostle and evangelize the Gentile world. Peter had denied the Lord three times in one night, even after boasting that although everybody else might betray you, but Lord, I never will. Yet even in his own betrayal, God still chose Peter to deliver the keynote address at Pentecost and then used Peter to open the door of evangelism to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Ladies and gentlemen, God is not looking for perfect people. He is looking for obedient people who will respond to his call and do his will. Folks, it's not our power, but Christ in us. Point number three. God was not dependent upon Jonah's beauty, but his. You know, there are stories in history of men that have survived being swallowed by fish. There's a story from February of 1891 about a man named James Bartley, who was a whaler on the Star of the East, while near the Falkland Islands was lost overboard while chasing a sperm whale. Crew eventually caught and killed the whale, and they found Barkley inside, unconscious, but alive. History says that he recovered in three weeks and resumed his duties, but his skin was bleached white like parchment. There was another story of an English sailor who fell overboard and was swallowed by a fish. They say that a day or two later, the fish was seen floating on the surface of the water. He was taken ashore. When it was opened up, the sailors found their shipmate alive 
Again, he survived this experience, but his skin had turned a chalky white, and it remained so for the rest of his life. Imagine what Jonah had looked like. This man comes into town, a Jew no less, someone that they would have had a racial bias against anyway, perhaps bleached white or with splotchy skin, perhaps not a hair on his body as it had been burned off from the digestive juices from being inside this fish. What a sight Jonah must have been. Yet he proclaimed the word of God and the heart of the city was changed. Look what God can do with one person. God took an 80-year-old shepherd and delivered a nation. God took a rebellious prophet and saved a city. God took a 20-year-old nobody and prophesied to kings. God took a backwoods prophet out of the sticks of Judah named Amos to go and preach at the king's temple in Israel. God took a small-town prophet named Micah to turn the heart of King Hezekiah and lead a great revival in Judah. God took a preacher that had denied Jesus three times in one night and 50 days later preached a sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 were saved. God took a harlot of Jericho and through her lineage came the Messiah. God took a run of the litter, a shepherd boy no less, from the hills of Bethlehem and slew Goliath with him and made him the king over his people. Look what God can do with just one person. I don't know about you, but I get encouraged by this. God took a 17-year-old shoe clerk with an 8th grade education named Dwight L. Moody. And through him, he preached to presidents and prime ministers, to generals and British royalty, and over one million people came to Christ under his preaching. A man with an 8th grade education. Look what God can do. God took a washed-up drunken center fielder for the Chicago White Sox named Billy Sunday and saved him and with eight borrowed sermons he preached his first revival at the age of 34. Ten million people heard him preach and over a million people came to Christ and under his ministry. Folks, look what God can do. God took a young lady that had been blinded as an infant named Fanny Crosby And she wrote more than 9,000 songs, including Blessed Assurance, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Jesus is Tenderly Calling You Home, Praise Him, Praise Him, Rescue the Perishing, and to God be the Glory. Look what one person can do when God is involved. Let me share with you an amazing testimony as to what one man can do when God is working. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher at his little church in Boston. And he was concerned about the salvation of his class. And one day on April the 21st, 1855, he walked into Holton's shoe store to visit with one of his students. There he found this young man named Dwight L. Moody. Again, a 17-year-old shoe clerk working in the back. And Mr. Kimball led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with the name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer. 
In his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher who personally went to every student in his class and led each of them to Christ. The message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist just like Moody. Over the years, Meyer came to America, and while speaking in Northfield, Massachusetts, a young preacher heard Meyer say, If you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. Brother Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. A volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped to set up his crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman and by listening to Chapman. Billy Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dynamic evangelists in the 20th century. And as I said a little while ago, Billy Sunday preached live, didn't have all the television in that day, preached live to over 10 million people and had over 1 million walk the sawdust trail and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. It was under excuse me, Sunday's preaching that America got a conscience about alcohol and actually outlawed liquor for a decade in America. Folks, that is a supernatural revival. Inspired in 1924 uh, by a Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christians dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. The group invited a friend of Sunday's, an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham, to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. Sitting in the crowd was a 16-year-old young man, spellbound by the message that this white-haired preacher gave. Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting, see, I'm not the only one, <laughs> seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at the young man. Night after night, the teen came, and finally, he went forward and gave his life to Christ. That teenager was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in history, and it all started with a Sunday school teacher named Kimball. Millions have been affected by his decision to go into that shoe store and share Christ with one person, and millions will continue to feel his impact. Folks, look what God can do with one person willing to be obedient. It just takes one person to be used for God's greatness. Folks, it's not your age. It's not your beauty. It's not your eyesight. It's not your education. It's not your eloquence. It's not even your attitude. God needs your obedience to do what He's called you to do, and then He can do great things through you. Folks, what can God do with you? What kind of difference can you make in your family? What kind of difference can you make in your workplace? What kind of difference can you make in your school? Ladies and gentlemen, recognize that you are God's representative in the world that you live in. You will be around a certain group of five or six or ten people every day. People that I'll never see. People that Brother Jerry will never see. People that, that Charlie will never see. Or Doc will never see. Or Mike will never see. That is your mission field. What kind of a difference can you make 
and their lives. Perhaps it will be your grandchild that is raised by the son that you raised to love Jesus that will one day lead in the next great awakening that sweeps our country. Perhaps it'll be you that goes out on EE one Tuesday night and has the privilege of sharing Christ with the last soul that completes the body of Christ and then God the Father leans over to God the Son and says, Son, go get them. Folks, look what God can do with one person. Ladies and gentlemen, I know what the future holds as we teach through the book of Revelation and as we study the books of prophecy, but I don't know what the immediate future holds. And I don't know, well, let me put it like this. I know that God has called me to pastor this church. And I know that God has called me to try to make a difference. And for some reason, God seems to have prepared me for certain things, including being the center of controversy. Now, folks, let me share with you, I don't find it controversial to say that there is none other way to the Father except through Jesus. That is the truth. Unless this book is full of lies, and then we have no reason to even be here, we can go play golf on Sunday mornings. But if this book is the truth, then it says that without Jesus, you cannot go to heaven. Now that may be unpopular, but it's the truth. And you look throughout the Scripture. Beginning with Enoch, there has not been a period of time in biblical history where it was popular to stand up and proclaim the truth in a lost culture. These men that I've talked about this morning were all hated by the lost world. And you know what? That's no surprise. Because Jesus said, the world hates me and they're going to hate you as well. Folks, if Jesus was such a bridge builder and peacemaker, then why did they kill him? They hated the message that he brought. And they hate the message that followers of Jesus bring. When was it controversial to say that Islam is not Christianity? Folks, that's a statement of fact. I've showed you in the... In the slides, I've showed you documentation from the Quran that they preach that if you believe that Jesus was God, then you're an infidel. If you preach that Jesus was anything more than a prophet of Muhammad, you're an infidel. If you believe that Jesus was one of three in a trinity, or if that the son of Mary was God incarnate, you're an infidel. That's exactly what I believe, because that's exactly what the Bible says. That may be controversial, but I'm going to stand on the truth. Somebody has to stand on the truth. Most pastors and most all Christians are too afraid to take the heat. Folks, we don't have a choice. Apathy will just lead to our destruction. 
When did preaching that homosexual sex was sin become controversial? Folks, the Bible clearly outlines that it's a sin. Logic demands that it's a sin. And the evidence through centuries of world history show that it results in increased depravity and illness and premature death and disease. Brother Kern, my dear friend from Olivet Baptist, showed up two weeks ago on Wednesday night when, the, when Ibrahim Hooper, the head of the Council of American Islamic Relations in Washington, D.C., issued a press release about this little church in Oklahoma, how intolerant and bigoted we were. Well, he came, Brother Kern, Brother Kane, Brother Kern came to see if there, Brother Kern came to see if there was going to be a fight that night or something. And he walks in the back door and he says, how come your church gets all the attention? We had Avi at our church on Sunday morning and nobody cares. How come your church gets all the attention? He said, Steve, I don't want it. You can have it. But for some reason, God has chosen us to be that church in Lexington. That Jonas Clark-led church that stood in Lexington Green and said to the British Redcoats, over our dead bodies. This wasn't a job that I applied for. This was not part of a lifelong dream. Folks, we are living in the book of Acts, about chapter 17,432, as the Holy Spirit is still working in this dispensation before God comes and calls His children home. And we are just trying to be faithful and do what God has called us to do. To proclaim truth in a lost world and to stand against Unwickedness, or excuse me, wickedness in our generation. And look what God has done. Who knows where we'd be? Who knows? You know, I we hear we heard from people all across the country, literally from Maine to Hawaii last week. You'd be amazed at how many pastors across the country are encouraged by what we do. You'd be amazed at the difference that we're making from coast to coast because somebody's willing to stand up and proclaim the truth even when the world doesn't want to hear it. Folks, regarding this political campaign, there was another shot at me in the paper this morning from uh, one of the editors about the Patriot Pastors. And there's one, while many Christians are putting up crosses in their yard to celebrate Easter, this one so-called patriot pastor is putting up his campaign signs as he runs for Senate. Well, thank God for Christians that will run for public office. The devil's had it long enough. And by the way, they didn't look closely enough because there's a little cross on my signs out there. 
But I don't know whether we're going to win this election or whether God is just using us to advance the argument in defeat. I don't know. The results are His business. I'm just going to be obedient in proclaiming the truth and standing for the truth. Folks, I don't know if we'll be successful in turning our country back to Jesus. I really don't know. I don't know if we'll be have the success that Micah had and seeing his country come to a great spiritual revival and turn back to God? Or I don't know if we'll be like Jeremiah, weeping as our nation is destroyed. I don't know. The results are up to God. But this is one man that's going to stand and be faithful to the calling that God has given to him. I do know two things. Number one, God does his greatest work when the hour is darkest. Folks, when the Israelites, God led them through the pillar of flame and pillar of a cloud, and God was a poor general because he led them to a place where they were boxed in between the mountains and the Red Sea, and there was no escape. There was only one way the Israelites could turn, and they turned to God, and God worked a miracle and part of the Red Sea. God does his greatest work at the darkest hour. When the Assyrians had conquered the other strong fortified cities of Judah and had surrounded Jerusalem, there was no logical hope. The advisors of Hezekiah were telling him to appeal to Egypt for help, but Isaiah said, no, you turn to God. And Hezekiah took these blasphemous letters that the Assyrians had given to him, demanding their surrender, and he went to the temple and laid them before God and cried out and said, God, what are you going to do? And in one night... One ticked-off angel showed up and killed 185,000 Assyrians and delivered Jerusalem. When the hour is darkest, that's when God does His best work. As a matter of fact, it was three days after Jesus had been placed in a tomb and the disciples were scratching their head going, What in the world has happened? I thought He was, gonna, I thought he was the Messiah. What hope is there now? At the darkest hour. That's when God shows up and does his best work. And after that third day, that's when Christ was risen from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, it's times like now that God likes to step out and show just how great he is. Second observation I want to make here in closing. God takes our obedience and our faithfulness and blesses it and accomplishes his purposes with it. Folks, look what God has done with just one person time and time and time again. What kind of a difference can you make? Not you, but Christ in you. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, 
www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.